When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, yo, what up? It's the Preachers of Sneakers podcast back at it again with another super interesting guest. That's somewhat of a different flair than all of my previous guests. This is more sneaker themed, sneaker related. Today, I'm talking with a former Adidas employee that helped lead creative efforts there during the whole Yeezy era, right when Yeezy was coming on. And now he is a startup founder and he's created a super interesting game called Aglet. It's basically a virtual sneaker community where you convert your physical steps, kind of like Pokemon Go or any of those other apps, and it converts into currency and you can get all the coolest sneakers that you probably could never afford in real life. Really interesting concept in that and the founder, Ryan, is even more interesting. This guy is borderline genius and is thinking a million miles ahead of the average person. So I'm, I met him kind of at the beginning of when the account blew up through a mutual friend. And we've stayed connected ever since through, through the rollout of his app and uh, the progression of his company. So I wanted to get him on to talk sneakers, to talk uh, social media, to talk kind of the combination of the virtual universe and the real universe, kind of heady stuff, way, way beyond my uh, limits of thinking and talking, but I tried to stick with him as long as I could. I think you'll be interested. I think you'll be entertained. Uh, really not much church or Christianity talk. It's more specific to sneakers, mobile apps, tech, startups, all that kind of stuff if you're into that kind of thing. So take a listen and uh, hope we can entertain you for an hour or so. Get your thoughts off all the BS that's going on in the world right now. So thanks for tuning in. Big shouts out to my homies at Punch Parade and their new song, Look At Me Now, that they're letting me use for the intro and ad music. You can also check out their music video exclusively on Preachers and Sneakers, at least for the next few days or so. Head on over to my page. I've got the full music video, and it's hilarious. The song is awesome, and it's really well produced. Check it out. Check them out on Spotify as well, at Punch Parade and on Instagram, all that. If you haven't already, please make sure you subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, wherever you listen to pods, really. And if you feel so led, would love it if you left a rating and a review on the podcast. It's super helpful to me to grow on the algorithm, to grow uh, maybe one day to the uh, top podcasts on iTunes. That's the goal at this point. Either way, I appreciate you listening. I appreciate you spending the time. And I hope you enjoy my conversation with Ryan David Mullins of Aglet. 
talking to Ryan David Mullins today, and you and I got connected through TK yeah. McCamey, right? And how do you know him? Uh, TK and I went to uh, know each other from uh, university. So we both went to University of uh, University of Kentucky. Okay. Uh, we were there together. Um, and then um, we know each other uh, through screenwriting and, you know, just kind of more creative writing type stuff. So my first dream was to be a director. You know, TK actually is one. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, we, we collaborate a lot on bouncing ideas off each other for like script ideas, even to this day. Yeah. Um, you know, storytelling, Pretty creative and, dude, you know, creative writing and just creative expression in any way is, is something that's very dear to me. So, you know, he's obviously very talented and, you know, as a photographer, as a director, as a writer. And so he's, he's one of my chimps as the, uh, you know, the five chimp theory goes, he's definitely one of my chimps, you know, the five that's chimp awesome. theory. I don't know. Enlighten me. So the five chimp theory is, um, it's a, it's, it's a zoo, it's a zoological concept. Um, but it's essentially that like chimpanzees, um, I guess in their social circles, they're typically groups of five. Um, and so someone took that and used it as an analogy for building your own social groups. So, you know, and, and it's like, you are the average of the five people that you hang out or the four people that you hang out with most. Um, yeah. so, you know, choose your, choose your chimps wisely. So if you say like the, he's a chimp, it's like, those are, he's one of the core people that like you learn the most from that challenges you the most that, you know, introduces really healthy tensions that expand and make you, uh, grow and, and augment you as a, as a human being. So that's a the question you always ask, like, are, you know, do you have, do you have the right, do you have chimps in your life? Like who are your chimps? So, he's a chimp. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I, I get that with, from him. Cause he, him and I have had several really deep discussions and not only does he think creatively, but he also thinks at a pretty deep level that, like you said, like brings up tensions that maybe you haven't wrestled with before. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. And he, he's provided some of the same things for me as far as like thinking through creative deals. So he introduced uh, us together kind of right when the account was blowing up because you're a sneaker guy and you've worked in the industry and you've developed a super interesting sneaker based app, which we're going to get to later. But do you mind kind of talking me through your career a little bit, uh, kind of going back to the days at Adidas and uh, kind of where you are now? Sure. Yeah. So, um, so I'm a serial entrepreneur. So I've started, this is going to be my fourth startup now. Um, and, or it is my fourth startup. Um, yeah. And so most of my companies that I've had are self-publishing media companies. Yeah. I saw one, what readify, is that how you say yeah, it? Basically, uh, uh, readify. And then the, you know, the third one was called Alipo. And, um, you know, the, the, I, I operate with something I call the Prometheus principle, which is, um, you know, how do you, how do you find, uh, tools and technologies that only a few people have access to? And how do you sort of start to spread those and democratize those? Huh. And create a platform where people people innovate. And I think, you know, when you see all the great platforms that have emerged in the last couple of decades, you see they're based on that kind of Prometheus principle of, you know, stealing a tool, very powerful tool from a few and and sort of, you know, democratizing that and then seeing what people create. Yeah. Um, and so I was at a point in startups where I just kind of felt that I had reached the limit of what I could do in terms of 
media was kind of like, you know, all the companies, all, all the winners had emerged. And I just felt as though we were sort of ending the, like the second wave of consumer facing uh, internet, which was, you know, mobile social cloud, um, you know, and I don't know, everything that had could be done, I felt like had been done. And um, I had never worked at a big company before. And so I was trying to figure out, you know, what I want to do next. And I went, ended up going to Adidas and, you know, helped there develop the digital strategy for the company, you know, the innovation strategy for the company. My title was director of future trends. Um, and essentially my job there was all about trying to find uh, new business models and build new businesses within the business. Yeah. You know, so the, that's a pretty dope title. What's that? I said, that's a pretty dope title. Yeah, director of future it is. Trends. It's it, the title is like, like I'm directing the future trends. So I'm the, like the director <laughs> of future trends. And then it's, yeah. it's very similar to that, that title of like master of divinity. Yeah. Um, something like that. Uh, yes. so <laughs> it was <laughs> you know, huge calling master of future trends. Um, no pressure. Great, great job. Great company. Uh, amazing people there, you know, got a chance to, uh, to, to pitch some stuff to, to, to Kanye and, you know, the Yeezy brand. Uh, Dang. Yeah. That was, I mean, that was, that was a great experience. Um, you know, got to try to brainstorm a little bit, develop some ideas for like, you know, the, the gaming um, esports sides of the company. Um, so great time that I was there, but ultimately, you know, at heart, I'm a, I'm a founder. I've, I've just got to have my own thing. So I went yeah. there, I learned what I needed to learn and what I wanted to learn. You know, it's a very different experience when you've got a startup, nobody knows anything about you, nobody cares about you, and you're trying to convince the world that you're important, as yeah. opposed to a company with hundreds of millions of loyalists who just want to throw hundreds of dollars at you every Saturday, you know, yeah. a sneaker drop. So like two very different frames of mind. And so, you know, learned what I needed to learn and what I wanted to learn, great experience, but you know, I had this kind of weird idea for, for Aglet and ultimately, you know, decided to leave and pursue that. Yeah. So for the, per, the previous startups, what was the light bulb that made you think, Hey, there was an opportunity here. So like focusing on democratizing limited knowledge or resources for, but the, like for publishing specifically, what, what stuck out as like, Hey, there might be an opportunity here. Um, well, I'm someone that has a very fond love of reading and books. So I've got, you know, literally I probably have two or 3000 books. Um, and I try to I can read see a you know, portion two of to them three in the books back. a week. Um, it's, it's tough being a father, a husband and the startup CEO to find that time. But, you know, on very little sleep, you can make it happen. Um, yeah. And so on the reading side, it was just about, you know, then this is 2000, 2013 this is really when the whole ebook craze was, was really starting to take off, especially because, you know, mobile had been around for a while, but it was, you know, it really was like 2012 when mobile really started to take off. So, you know, Facebook finally got mobile, right. You know, mm -hmm. and, and, and what was popular on, on desktop and on, on web and on browser finally made its way to being native experiences on mobile. And so yeah. reading was kind of the same where it was, you know, people were maybe reading books on, on a browser or something like that. You know, Kindle was starting to come out and what we were seeing was, you know, there was all these famous kind of pictures that people were posting of uh, like a train in New York city, like the subway or whatever. And like literally everybody's just kind of staring at their phones. 
Um, and that was a big deal. And, you know, eight years ago, 10 years ago or whatever, now it's mm-hmm. obviously normal, but what, what, what the, the opportunity that I saw was like, okay, wow. Like my generation, even younger, most of the content that we're consuming is on our phones. And, you know, most of my friends at least were reading a lot of books on their phones. And so mm-hmm. there didn't yet seem to be something like a Spotify for eBooks. Um, right. And so yeah. what we wanted to do was create that. We called it ReadFi. You know, you could read, we had 30,000 eBooks on, on the, on the, on the platform, you know, initially right out of the gate. Um, every 12th page, there would be an ad. Okay. So it was, you know, it was free. You could access all of those for free, but then we had an advertising model. And of course, if you wanted to kind of upgrade, get rid of the ads, have, you know, social groups, reading groups and stuff like that, then you could, you know, pay the kind of the premium uh, subscriber price. Um, mm-hmm. And so that, that was um, the inspiration for that, for that first idea was, you know, how can we use, how can we use technology? You know, some of, most of us are maybe limited to reaching the amount of stuff that we can read. Um, how can you then give access to all of these books? Um, but then at the same time, you know, uh, be able to pay for that through, through advertising. Yeah. Um, so that was the I initial bet you, idea. I bet you, I bet you learned some good lessons doing that version of like starting it up operating. Uh, you know, what were some of the harder things that maybe you learned that have made your life easier for your newest venture? Um, I think, I think the, the, the biggest lesson from ReadFi was the power of community, you know, so we raised a really small, um, kind of a smallish seed round of like 250 K. Um, you know, we were a small team, two or three people. And then we, we ended up realizing that there were so many people that were passionate about what we were building. And then we were like, let's do a, let's do a, a Kickstarter. So this was in Germany. And so the, there was, there's like the Kickstarter in Germany, Companisto. So we ended up doing a Companisto and, you know, reached the limit in like a week. We raised 500K. That's Dang. the most that you can, you know, raise on the Companisto. So we raised 500K. We had, we broke the record for the most individual supporters. I don't know if it's been broken since, probably has, but we had like, you know, mm-hmm. 2,400 people that, you know, had, um, had given us, you know, X amount of money, ended up totaling 500K. And so those 500 people ended up being 500,000 people. Um, sorry, the, those 2,500 people ended up being, yep. you know, like our soldiers for the idea um, and really helped kind of propel us to take some of the burden off of our shoulders in finding the right distribution channels to grow it. Um, and so you, we just had a lot of like grassroots support for the idea because everybody was looking for ways to read stuff on their phone at the time. Um, Mm -hmm. and so I think what we, what that made me realize is like some of the basic stuff that's, they, it sounds like common sense, but precisely because it's common sense, you don't realize, um, how important it is. And Mm -hmm. you also don't realize how hard it is. So there's so many great products out there, so many smart founders, so many great founders with a ton of experience, but you can have a great product, a well-designed product. You can be smarter than anyone, you can have the smartest team, you can have all the money in the world, but if you can't find and master the right distribution channel to get your product in the hands of the right, peop- the right people, it doesn't matter how, many, how great your product is. And so this was a way of us just finding, I think kind of luckily, a distribution channel that worked. My second, the, the company after that, Olipo, uh, we didn't 
I think find we couldn't really find that uh, that distribution channel. So you know, Alipo was was um, me looking at a, a lot of younger kids. I mean, now fast forward, this is you know five six years later. It was realizing that what kids consider reading now is like a Snapchat story or a you know an Instagram story. It's you know the like the future of the book is the book. Like leave it alone. It's fine. The book's cool. But like, how do you start to create like a mobile native format. So what would like a like, digestible yeah what would, version. like like Pokemon Go is like native to the to the to the phone. You can't play Pokemon yeah. Go on the brow on you know on your desktop obviously. So like what would what would a kind of Snapchat story or a Pokemon Go like experience be um for uh mobile like mobile storytelling. Mm. And so that was kind of that Prometheus principle or that democratization was what if anyone could use location-based, you know, uh, mobile technology or some of the interactive features on the phone. How do you unlock all those native features on the phone, give them to everyone in a new self-publishing tool so that they can create those kinds of stories? Hmm. You know, that was the idea. It was a great idea. It was That's just, dope. it's the classic chicken and egg problem where it's like, do you start first? If it's a platform always has this chicken and egg problem, right? Uber is like, you start with the drivers. You can't really start with the passengers. If you have a thousand passengers and one driver, it's a crappy service. If you have a thousand drivers and one passenger, it's a crappy service. So you have to try to find that balance. And here it was the same. It was like, do we focus on the creators? The answer is yes. We need to focus on the creators to have the content, to attract the, the readers, blah, blah, blah. And that balance is was the biggest learning lesson for us because I think we were we were imbalanced and it ended up kind of impacting it. And we ended up, you know, we got rid of it, uh, rid of it for the technology as opposed to the network. I see. Cause yeah, I mean, you have to achieve a network effect in order for it to be sustainable. Yeah. Kind of like the only way Uber was self-sustaining was because of the network effect, like they had the most drivers and the most demand. That's right. And customers. they had very yeah. clever ways of attracting, you know, if there, if that imbalance happens that, you know, the mechanism of surge pricing was a way for them to attract more drivers to meet the demand so that the experience isn't crap when you have too many passengers and too few drivers. Yeah. I imagine it's hard to just generate that out of the ether. Like yeah. that's a very imperfect thing to solve for, I'd say. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's you, hmm. you know, that, I mean, it's some of the stuff that we're learning now too with, with Aglet because we're building, you know, a, like a, a proper economy here. And, um, you know, one of the challenges is, uh, is finding those balances and you realize very quickly that, uh, you know, one, one slight mistake on the design side could potentially blow up the entire economy that we, <laughs> that we've created. So yeah, even this kind yeah. of balance that, that we're dealing with now is not, it's not really a network effect, but it's, um, it is, um, it's very, very, it's a close cousin, I think to it. And, uh, it has similar problems you have to solve for. Yeah. Cause you're, I mean, you're essentially, creating an ecosystem, a new ecosystem that isn't a copy of something else. It's like a new form of currency, a new form of product, and you have to generate demand and also create some type of supply where the demand keeps coming, even though you can technically create supply. Yeah. Infinity. Yeah. yeah. This is a, a kind of recurring pattern in all my companies. Uh, fortunately and unfortunately is that I kind of, I mean, I sound like maybe a douche saying this, but I'm typically <laughs> like five years too early. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and and I think that how I just how I think by default, like my default setting is I think in creating new categories. Um, and so that's just what I get excited about. And I think I'm not really here on, on in life to like do anything m- mediocre or, or minor or whatever. Like I'll, I'd rather go down like Schwarzenegger and the end of T2 when he's like drowning in the lava, just firing away all the, like, that's for me. Like, I'm just going to keep shooting to do something like big, you know? And I think the biggest opportunities, the biggest companies are these companies that create entirely new categories. Yeah. So you have a high tolerance for risk and you're not looking to start a cash flow positive lifestyle company. You're trying to go zero to a billion. Like I'm just, I guess I'm, I'm just processing what you're saying. Like you, you have such a high tolerance for risk that you, and a vision for the future that the things that you're creating are either going to bust completely or redefine something. Yes, that's that's it. I mean, a great example of this is, is I think like one of the great category creators, you know, Brian Chesky and his his you know his founding squad at Airbnb. If you really go back and think about when Airbnb first came out, you know, it, it's on the surface, it's it's probably one of the dumbest ideas that you, you know, you could ever think about, you know, like, like I, on paper, I remember, yeah. uh, in two, what was it? 2000, I think it was like 2008 or something. Um, my wife and I were my girlfriend at the time, my wife now, but we were going to Germany to visit her parents and, uh, I wanted to Airbnb our place. Um, so, you know, we had a place in Marina del Rey and like, I'm like, oh, hey, we're going to do Airbnb. And she's like, you know, what is, when the hell is that? And then I'm like, well, it's this, you know, I can, I'm going to rent out our, rent out our apartment for the two weeks. And this couple from, you know, from uh, Brooklyn is going to, you know, rent it out. And she was like, oh, is it like friends of yours from school? And I'm like, no, I have no, I have no idea who they are. She's like, what are you, what are you sick? Like, are you psycho? Like that's no, we're not doing that. Um, and so, you know, like this, the, the, the way in which, they were able to digitize trust and and take what is a kind of nonsensical idea and then you know make sense of that you know like the transition from nonsense to sense is i think the entrepreneur entrepreneurial journey at least the successful one if you can you're in this space there's not really any description or a category or a concept yet for what you're doing and then out of that, you're out of that noise, you're able to create a signal and kind of bring the world along with you on that journey. Um, and then kind of evangelize the concept to get people to follow you. Um, that's an extremely difficult thing to do. And again, fortunately or unfortunately, that seems to be just kind of my natural default way of what how I think is I, I just like doing that, taking that risk, as you said, and I like that challenge. Um, and you know, I, I wrote an article about this recently called I steal wheelbarrows. Um, and like, that's kind of what I do. I steal wheelbarrows. I it's from this joke about this, uh, th- there's this, uh, worker and his, his job is to pick up stuff around the, around the work facility and put it in the wheelbarrow. And then he, when he leaves every day, there's these two guys that always check inside the wheelbarrow to see if he's stealing anything. Um, and then later on, you know, he becomes, you know, an entrepreneur himself selling wheelbarrows um, because he was stealing wheelbarrows the whole time, you know, he nothing inside the thing. And so that idea of like, you know, seeing something 
the Schopenhauer quote, you know, the, the uh, talent hits a target. No one else can hit genius hits a target. Nobody else can see. Yeah. It's that, that idea that we don't, we're not tuned to look at the nonsensical. We dismiss it. But typically the big things, the big new categories were total nonsense at one time and no one took it seriously until it was too late. It crosses the kind of sense threshold. And then those are the companies that end up winning. And so, yeah, you know. they, they either end up winning or raising $10 billion from SoftBank and are never profitable yet yeah. IPO and somehow yeah. still. And then certain individuals uh, will win in a different sense. Uh, like, you know, people who just get billion dollar buyouts and yeah, golden parachutes yeah. and bounce and then <laughs> exactly. never, never so, are profitable. I mean, yeah. could be worse, but I, you know, I hope that, uh, I hope that doesn't happen to us. Yeah. Well, I, I, I mean, either way, I hope you get a golden parachute. That'd be nice for you personally. That would be, that, <laughs> I'm not going to turn that down. So, uh, all right, well, let's get into it. Uh, so you've created a new app called Aglet, which I've downloaded and I've also had friends, even my like publishing editor downloaded it and has been sending me, uh, notes about, uh, like they were at a, a cleaning station inside their church building, which we found was super ironic. Um, do you mind, uh, talking through the concept of the app and maybe kind of like educating a Barney style, the consumer, why they should care about it and what you hope for the application. Yeah, sure. I mean, the, the, the idea comes from, you know, I'm somebody who I've been collecting sneakers for, you know, since I was probably 10 years old, um, just been in, been in the culture for a long time, you know, early Nike talk, you know, then like, you know, kicks on fire, you know, nice kicks, all the stuff that kind of came after. Yeah. Um, and just have a real love and passion for the culture, for the community, you know, sneakerheads love sneakers, but they also love other sneakerheads. You know, there's a real passion there and a love, I think, in the community mm-hmm. that's very special. Um, but what I started noticing was that as sneaker culture became a little bit more, um, kind of mainstream is that as, as, as typically happens, the nature of the relationship between a consumer and the, the sneaker culture and the brands became completely transactional, you know, like it's, what do you mean? Meaning that like when you go to, you know, the Adidas side or the Nike side or whatever, it's like the, the relationship that you have to the brand becomes less about like the, you know, the loyalty to the, this culture or this brand that you really love and more about the mere transactional nature of that relationship. And it became such a hype and such a wave that it then became brands themselves were trying to develop a direct to consumer business model. And that ended up being actually a direct to bots business model. Yeah, uh, you know, which I've experienced it's, it's like a, it's in like a, a very D2B, frustrating way, a D2B model direct to bots. And yep. then the companies that had the actual relationship then with the consumer was the secondary marketplaces like StockX and Goat. And then, you know, smaller boutique kind of local neighborhoods, uh, sneaker boutique shops, uh, eBay, mm-hmm. um, you know, cook groups on Discord or, you know, even yep. like, you know, certain chat apps or whatever. So I just thought it was kind of ironic that there was this business model of trying to reach the consumer directly that actually ended up in the complete opposite effect of not having no relationship whatsoever with the, with the consumer and it being this kind of merely transactional uh, relationship. And so 
that's kind of where I, how I felt was that this is getting really, really repetitive, really, really boring. There's no magic in my experience anymore. It's the same stuff over and over again. The only brand that I really feel is, is, is like creating future classics is like easy. Um, everything Mm -hmm. else seems to be kind of digging into the archive, you know, rehashing, you know, with some new colorways, shoes from the eighties and the nineties or whatever. Sure. So there was some kind of like a fatigue that I was feeling with the sneaker industry and I was really figuring out, okay, it's flatlined. How am I going to give CPR to this flatlined industry? Right. So that's a passion of mine, sneakers, fashion, streetwear. On the other side of it, I'm also a very passionate gamer. So I'm into games and, and I was playing a lot of Pokemon go. I think it's a great game. Love the game, love the location based, uh, Mm-hmm. Uh, stuff that Niantic does. I think maps are very underutilized beyond mobility and transportation. Um, yeah. And then, you know, there's Fortnite, there's the virtual, the, the skins, you know, they made 3 billion in 2018, just selling cosmetics wow. in the game. You know, now you've got Animal Crossing. You, so, you know, Roblox. So something interesting was happening in gaming where you started to see that a lot of the same mechanics in reality of flexing, capturing scarce goods, you know, and, and then expressing yourself and flexing that those same things were in virtual environments as well. And so call of duty too. What's that? Call of duty too. So like I've been playing Warzone and all that, like all of the, I mean, all the COD points and all the different weapon and character skins that you can get people obsessed over those. Yeah. Yeah. And it, I mean, they, again, like developing their own internal currency that they're probably printing money from. Yeah. 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 So it's yeah, exactly. And so it's, um, so now you've got, you know, gaming and then you've got sort of fashion on the other side. And yeah. My main interest was how do I bring, how do I fuse those two things together? And I think it's one of the most exciting areas right now is the fashion and the gaming industries coming together. And you have like phase clan, you've got hundred thieves that are, you know, these, you know, kind of streetwear and, and, and very fashion centric, gaming brands. And I think much like yeah. a couple decades ago, you had like the bro grammar in the hoodie that represented kind of the, you know, the startup founder type person with a computer or whatever. And then you had like the, the athlete or the, the rapper as kind of the trend setter in terms of fashion. And I think now it's going in a direction where the gamers are emerging as kind of the, the new nerd that dominates and, and, Interesting. and drives culture. And I think FaZe Clan and Hundred Thieves are a great example of that. So, because they're more yeah. widely recognized now, and there's like more acceptance of pop, more acceptance of gaming culture and popular culture, like Travis Scott doing his concert within Fortnite, and I guess Corona shutting everything down. People are forced to accept esports as all right. This is if I want to enjoy some type of competitive juice. This is pretty much all that there is right now, and yeah. I think people are probably realizing, oh, this is an acceptable form of entertainment and isn't just for quote unquote nerds. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I also think that it's, it's um, I think what we're seeing is this transition that's happening from, you know, like I mentioned before that, you know, Facebook, Twitter, I mean, these were browser first experiences that basically just copy and pasted that same experience into a mobile app. Um, And I think what we're starting to see now is that style of social network, um, that is now the new generations, the social networks are actually happening in games. 
So you do Mm -hmm. go to Fortnite to play the game, obviously. But what we're starting to see is that you don't just go there to play the game. You actually go there to hang out. Yeah. Like Roblox, for instance. I mean, one of the most exciting companies, I think, in the world. It's like young kids are creating their own, just like Minecraft, they're creating their own virtual space and all their friends kind of go and hang out there in a game. Like that's the new social network. So like, you know, some people a long time ago had the mall that you went to hang out with. And then, you know, at the mall, you also had commerce, but then you all, then you had Facebook and, you know, all the other social media platforms and social network platforms. And that's where you went to kind of meet people and hang out in the, in the previous model. And I think the new model is where you go and hang out, uh, meet people is going to be in these virtual environments and much like a mall where you buy stuff. So again, fashion, commerce, and gaming fusing together. And so that's kind of the kind of a long-winded maybe uh, context of where my head was at. No, that's helpful. And then it, it, when it really hit me was I was playing Pokemon Go and I kind of thought, isn't really the sneaker industry now, like me as a sneakerhead, isn't it really a game? Like I'm, I'm kind of playing a game here. There's this object that I want. It's nearly impossible to get. All these challenges are before me, obstructing my path to that object. I could, I could go drop money on a bot uh, to get it. I could drop money on a bot to get a bot to get it. Right. I could, uh, <laughs> I could go, you know, try to find a plug or something like that. I could, you know, just wait and pay 10x for it on StockX, whatever. There's like all these paths that I now need to like strategize and pick. Here's a cook group giving me hints and shit. You know, it's like all this mm-hmm. stuff for me to get that object. And I thought, you know, this is just a game. The sneaker game literally is a game. So I'm literally going to make a game out of it. And so as I was playing Pokemon Go, I thought, what if this is kind of what the future of shopping looks like? Um, and there, and, and hmm. what I mean by that is, you know, you how do you make a, a map-based commerce, like a virtual map-based commerce experience? And that's the new category I'm trying to create is this kind of game commerce platform where the first instance, so right now what Aglet is, is a kind of Pokemon Go meets virtual footlocker. So what you're doing on Pokemon, who it's for, the, all the people out there that like only take L's, you only <laughs> get L's, you always fail. I know that's not you because I see in the background there a couple, uh, couple. Uh, what do you got there? I've got, fives there? yeah, I've been. I've, I've been blessed with, I got some bread Jordan 4s, oh, Jordan 4s which there. Yeah. a follower gifted me. And then I got uh, the What the Jordan 4s as a, a birthday present. Nice. But yeah, I just, I, I mean, I can't pull them off, but I think they're so good looking. Yeah. yeah. So uh, it's, and I like how they're just kind of tossed up there on the shelf. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> most people have it in this, like, yeah, I know. I can't afford, I can't afford the pop cases yet. <laughs> if you're like me at all, this quarantine has been kind of a bummer and I've really been looking for ways to improve my thought life, improve my time meditating and reading. And I found that the upper room daily devotional guide has been a huge help. So if you check out the upper room, you can count on them for daily inspiration, daily community and daily prayer. It's really the only daily devotional magazine that's written by readers, ordinary people like me, people who have encountered God in daily situations. 
The Upper Room is here for you every day through your email, a custom app, or a printed magazine. And you too can enjoy a free 30-day trial of the email or app service by visiting upperroom.org slash welcome. That's upperroom.org slash welcome to get your first 30 days free. Check it out. Um, so, but, but, you know, most of us, not you, of course, but most of us that just fail 99% of the time to get, to get these sneakers that we want, Mm -hmm. um, the game's designed for them. You know, the game is, is, you know, watching sneaker shopping on complex and, you know, see, uh, you know, offset from Migos go in and drop 40 (laughs) K on, you know, some sneakers and me sitting here like, man, I'm never going to have that experience to like go into stadium goods, just get whatever I want, you know? Mm-hmm. But what if you could create a game where you could actually, through your physical activity, walking around, which you, in, I guess, non-pandemic times, already doing anyway, you know, you're already walking around. So what if through that activity, you could earn a in-game currency called Aglet and then go into the Aglet sneaker shop and there are basically all these grails that you've always wanted and you'll never get. And now you're, you're collecting then these virtual, uh, virtual sneakers. And so part of the hmm. game, the game loop is, you know, explore and earn um, and then um, go into the shop, check it out, and then express yourself through collecting these sneakers. So, you know, earn is the is the main thing about it. And that's earning this virtual currency, this aglet. Yeah. Is there any significance from the uh, to the name aglet? Uh, what does that come from? There's a couple of things. So it's actually, uh, so the aglet is that little plastic thing on the end of the shoelace. Oh, okay. Yeah, so There's a name for that. An All right. And then it's also, it's also, it was just an idea that I had that like, you know, when I was teaching my, my son to tie his, uh, tie his shoes. And then I was just thinking, okay, you know, he's, he's four years old. And I, so I've been tying my shoes since I was like, you know, four or five years old. And here's something that's been in front of my face for like, you know, 25, 30 years. And I never knew that it had a name. Um, (laughs) So it's kind of like, again, the Airbnb thing of, you know, here's this room that's been in front of your face the whole time. And here's this new category you didn't even know was there, which is, oh, I can rent out this space to make money. Yeah. Similar, similar to the wheelbarrow thing, right? It's like, here's something that's in front of everybody's faces and this guy, they're all looking inside the wheelbarrow and this something hidden, which was the wheelbarrow itself. So it's kind of that thing that like the biggest opportunities generally emerge from it, you know, just changing your perspective slightly and seeing things inside out. Yeah. That's, that's super interesting. And you launched a month ago, right? It's completely live on Apple app store only right now. Android's coming. Yeah, it's coming soon. It's it. I mean, the, the backup on that is the, I guess the irony is that we have a full Google uh, stack. Um, so okay. we, we built it in flutter and, you know, we have Firebase. Uh, so it's like a, it's like a, and we're using, you know, the maps APIs from Google. So it's like a full Google mm-hmm. stack, but it's iOS only right now. Uh, reasons for that being that, you know, Android just has, such variety in terms of, you know, all the different OEMs and then you've got all the different screen sizes. So it's, it requires a lot more resources than we currently have to really optimize and be comfortable with releasing it. Um, we yeah. have built it in parallel to iOS. It's being tested. We have some people testing it like beta testers. So it'll be releasing soon. Um, so uh, looking forward to that. 
Yeah, that's cool. And uh, one of the things I like most about the app is because I've used it pretty much since it came out is the user experience already is super smooth and really kind of intuitive. It's only got a couple different verticals right now where it's like explore, shop, rock, and you can basically walk yourself through the app. But also you partnered with the dude from Kick Posters who just did phenomenal artwork for all these different shoes. Like this guy must have been working his tail off for I don't know how long because he's drawn all of these like uh, incredibly detailed illustrations where it's got its own flavor of uh, its own. It's not just a picture taken off of sneakers app, no. but it looks true to the design of the shoe, which I think yeah. makes it look really cool. How's that experience? Yeah, been that's a, that's a great way of putting it. I mean, you know, we are not selling in this game, you know, it's, it's, we're selling Dan's art, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think what's great about it is that it's, I think there's, there's definitely a spectrum of like complete, well, just like, you know, photorealism in the sense that it is a, a picture of the object, but then there's the other side of it, which could be like maybe way too cartoony. Yeah. What I was really going for and why I ended up reaching out to Dan. And I, I, in fact, I just recorded a a podcast with Dan, like right before this show. Oh, cool. And uh, what I kind of go through in the story of that, that, you know, the background for this was if I couldn't get Dan to do this, I, I, I'm not even sure I would have done Anglet, um, because that style, it just, it just had to be that, you know, I think you're, I think you're right. Obviously I'm biased because it's, you know, my product, but I just think yeah. it looks amazing. Um, and you know, Dan's illustrations and his art are just, I mean, there's a reason he's got, you know, 250,000 followers and there's a reason why he built a, a posters business out of it. There's a reason why Adidas wants to work with them and high snobiety and complex, you know, it's, it, he's, he's, I think he, he has created a new category himself, which was another reason why I wanted to work with him. He took his, his, his passion and his skills of graphic design and illustration and his passion from sneakers was doing it as a hobby and turned it into a business. You know, he himself is an entrepreneur and a hustler. Um, and I just thought he has to be on our team. Like there's just no, I didn't really give him a choice. It was just kind of like, like, dude, you're coming on the team. Otherwise this doesn't exist. So yeah. do you want to, and I mean, no offense to it, but like, do you want to stay on Instagram and like post your, your stuff? Or do you want your style, your aesthetic to be like the standard for digital sneakers, like in any game? Like that's my goal is like the Dan Freebaron protocol or something like instead of a software development kit, like a sneaker development kit. And like yeah. how it looks. If you want to design a virtual sneaker, like Dan has defined, I think, what the aesthetic looks like. So like a digital Tinker Hatfield. Yeah. 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 That's, and that's, that's I mean, interesting. Be, that's a good segue, actually, because the, you know, what I, the first instance of Aglet is, is a game. But the thing is that we're not a game company. You know, we're not a game studio. We're not a, um, we're not a mobile game company either. Like the goal of this really is on the one hand, it's to create this game commerce platform that I'm talking about. So one of the things to point out too, that's important is like, we've now had five or six players that have got physical sneakers playing the game. Yeah. I've seen that. So we have treasure stations that are littered around on the map where you can find them and unlock them. And when you do, you will get a notification that says, congratulations, you just copped, you know, the easy 350, you know, V2 Lennons. 
And it's like, we, and then they write us back, like, is this for real? Like, we, you know, <laughs> what are you talking about? It's like, no, it's totally for real. And then boom, I mean, shipping slower now because of COVID, but like you get yeah. your sneakers in like a month. So we, that's dope. Yeah, it is dope. And so, so that's the idea is like this map, this game experience becomes a platform. You know, we were talking with, you know, we just did a soul pack, uh, collaboration, you know, the, the backpack company where I wish yeah, I, I saw had that. this as a kid where I could put my sneakers, you know, in these backpacks that I hook onto my other backpack to bring to the court when I go hoop. And so in Chicago, you know, in reference to the last episode of the last dance, somebody mm-hmm. found, you know, a soul pack Chicago bulls backpack. Um, so brands are starting to catch on that. Hey, this is a platform that I can use to reach the consumer in a completely new way you know, beyond just staring at a website. Now people are out yeah, and about, more, they're, yeah. you know, getting healthy even, you know, that's, it, it's, there's good, it, there's good consequences for this. So we've got a ton of new uh, brand partnerships lined up that we're going to be doing um, this year. So I'm really pumped about that. Um, yeah. That's like a, that just like gets me excited thinking about it because thinking through it, it's like social media right now is such a static experience, like just sitting in front of a screen watching and creating but you're talking about a physiological interactive experience where it's not like it's not uh gimmicky like VR or something like you're out there walking like yes getting healthy but also it it causes you to want to walk more to explore more of your area in potential of getting the currency getting the super dope sneakers that are designed by the best sneaker illustrator in the game and also the potential like windfall of winning actual physical sneakers. Yeah. So yeah. just think about that whole concept sounds exciting to me because if it takes, that's going to be a new normal for brands. Like ultimately sneaker, I mean, the Nikes and Adidas of the world are going to have to take uh, notice and either buy you or compete with you which is just further validation of what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, the, that's the, that's the plan. I think it's like how, <laughs> how you've, how you've, you, I mean, I think you've correctly and, and astutely uh, described it. It's, it's the V the VR comment there is very important because the podcast that we have at Aglet is called from sneakers to the metaverse. And um, you know, a lot of people will, it's sort of meant tongue in cheek, but it's, also meant super seriously at the same time. So it's hmm. sort of this weird, uh, weird uh, juxtaposition of like humor, but also deadly, deadly serious. Um, hmm. We do want to mil- build the metaverse. Um, and the joke side of it though, is like, oh, here's this like fun uh, sneaker game, you know, Pokemon Go for sneakers. Like that doesn't sound like the metaverse. Um and the reason, though, that we think it is actually the seeds of what the metaverse can become is that some people think that the metaverse is this virtual reality environment into which we're all going to escape, you know, a la mm-hmm. Ready Player One or you right. know, The Matrix or, you know, um, uh, like Tron or something like this, you know, yeah. um, or Facebook Horizon that's coming out soon on the Quest, Fortnite even. Um, weirdly they're all islands. It's like animal crossing (laughs) Fortnite. Um, so I do not think that's what the metaverse is. I do not think that it's this either virtual space or physical space. And then it's kind of this, 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 uh, transportation between the two. 
I think right. I think the metaverse is 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 much more the convergence and the complete fusion of virtual and digital. Um, so I think that um, it's not going to be hardware like a VR headset, a head-mounted display that like occludes your your interaction with reality. I think it's it's going to be something like I'm wearing. It's going to be these these glasses that yeah, projects yeah. something on top of reality. And then what's interesting there is what is real becomes a, a very interesting question because now you're going to have virtual objects and virtual assets populating real physical, you know, spatial coordinate governed by the laws of nature objects. And they're like, <laughs> they're like on the same ontological footing now. And so the question is going to be who now is virtual labor, right? Who's going to create and design all these assets that are going to be projected on top of reality? Who owns them? Um, and how do you interact with them? And so yeah. that's for me, what the metaverse is, is reality, but with a like game layer built into it. That is so it's like, mind blowing. It's, like re- it's a, it's a reality operating system or a spatial operating system. The name of my company actually isn't Aglet. The name of the company is on life. Um, and this, this comes from a, a, uh, panel discussion I had with a guy from Disney, um, like, well, it's like five years ago or something. And he asked me, Hey, how much time do you spend online? And I just kind of sat there for 10 seconds and I said nothing because I didn't know how to answer it. Right. And I was like, that's like asking me, what does, you know, the number 12 smell like, you know, it, it it's almost a, I guess, pun intended, but it's like a nonsensical question. Cause it, it is it doesn't all make any sense day. anymore because you're not online anymore. You're not offline anymore. You're just kind of on life. You're just in, in computation. And so what we, that's why we call it on life because everything we do that's is cool. about that convergence of building this layer in on top of, or into reality because yeah. if I start rambling now, tell me to shut up. But like the, the first, no, I'm listening. I'm- if you think of the different phases actually of the web, web 1.0 was won by Google and it was really what Google did. It was a, a technological insight to find, you know, this amazing page rank algorithm that, made web pages machine readable that you applied really advanced, amazing algorithms to it so that you could aggregate attention and then advertise. So like that whole model, Google won. And then you've got the next phase, which was what kind of Facebook and other social media platforms won, which was how do you digitize social networks? How do you then make them machine readable, apply advanced algorithms to them, aggregate attention and advertise? No. And then you've got in those two phases, two different tech stacks that like made that possible. Monitor, mouse, keyboard in the first one, it was more desktop and then mobile social cloud in the second one. And then now we're going into web 3.0, which is I think this next phase where what's a post-smartphone work look, post-smartphone world look like. And that's mm-hmm. where I think reality becomes machine readable to which you can apply algorithms to aggregate attention and ultimately advertise. So who's going to win that? And the question is what companies are best positioned to win that because the tech stack there is open, you know, and that's why Facebook bought Oculus Rift or Oculus. Is Mm -hmm. it the, is it the VR headsets? It's why Apple's, you know, I think John Prosser just leaked some of the, the AR glasses from Apple. It's why Google released the glass and, you know, daydream and all this other stuff. So who's going to win that is really interesting. And I think, I want to be the company that wins it, but I want to be the sleeper that wins it. And I, I yeah. hope everybody thinks it's VR because I'm convinced it's not. 
I think it's going to be a, again, a game layer on top of reality and, you know, starting small with sneakers, a very passionate community, a community that I love, a fanatical community. You know, I think there's no better way to start with, I think the metaverse is real and it starts with virtual goods. Yeah. And the proof of concept is already there. I mean, as you're talking, I'm thinking about examples. I think maybe I heard this from you on your podcast, like Pokemon Go had its highest grossing year last year or something. So, uh, but I remember when it was at the height of it being a fad, it literally caused mobs in major metropolitan cities. Like, I don't know if it was in DC or New York. I remember seeing a video of thousands of people running to a place that Pokemon Go had said some rare Pokemon was going to appear. And that's when I start thinking about that, it's like, that's, uh, interesting and also scary. Yeah. But I think that's a proof to your point of that. Like, I don't think it's a VR headset either. Like layering VR type things on top of reality uh, seems to be the future, but then it also opens up all these like scary implications about not being able to discern what is actual reality. And then we're having to decide how to spend our money, whether it be on virtual goods or real goods, kind of like exactly what you yeah. said. Uh, you're blowing my mind right now. Just bringing these things. Well, there's also, you know, the question of like, who's gonna, you know, who are the companies best positioned to, to win this? You know, there's, yeah, there's like Aglet, of course. Um, but you've got, you know, Niantic labs who, um, has created, I mean, they are like the, let's call it geo gaming, uh, behemoth you know i mean they they luckily so i mean this guy the guy who's the founder of that is was one of my heroes john hanka um so he founded Mm -hmm. keyhole which you know google acquired and turned into google maps oh okay and then street and street view ultimately so he is like you know the gandalf of maps (laughs) um and uh and so so he you know he creates that becomes you know some stuff and then then he he founds Niantic Labs. And then they had like, I think field trip, they had ingress and then Pokemon go when they finally got some like IP and then they did the Harry Potter game. So they've now acquired a company called 6d.ai, which is all about creating, well, replicating reality virtually. So you could basically use your phone crowdsource everyone kind of capturing reality um, with their phone and then they're digitizing that and creating, you know, a, a kind of mirror, mirror world. So they acquired that company. They've made a bunch of acquisitions and now they've got cool. essentially turning their platform into or opening it up to, you know, to have people start building on top of it. So you got Niantic. I'm still bullish on Snapchat. Um, I think really? Snap, I'm still very bullish on them because if anyone has a lead, I think in like non-gaming virtual assets, I think it's Snapchat, you know, with their lens studio, they're doing the stickers, you know, they've got some really great commerce stuff that they do. I mean, spectacles was a bit of a turd, but like you can see (laughs) why they did it. You know, it makes sense given what we've just said. And then of course the elephant in the room is Epic games. You know, Epic has the, the, uh, the unreal engine. I don't know if you saw the unreal engine five is just, I actually watched it this morning. Absolutely ridiculous. So they've got now the tool to create, assets in a virtual environment based off of now it's just for developers, but you can obviously see how just like YouTube, you know, and even podcast, I mean, we're on a podcast, like who would have thought you or I would create a podcast, like, 
It, right. it used to be like, you know, you had to be some radio technical expert to do this type of thing. Same thing with YouTube. How do you create content? They're like, Completely democratizing. Again, now. democratizing these tools. And now you have all this innovation, new careers, new jobs, new brands. Um, I think the same thing happens in fashion and sneaker. And that's the question we're asking is who's the next Tinker Hadfield? Who's the next Jason Maiden, the next um, Virgil Abloh? And mm-hmm. if a tool, you've got a tool like the Unreal Engine where people can start creating virtual assets and virtual goods, not just for assets in a game, but like assets for the avatars in the game to flex and wear. So you've got the Unreal Engine, you've got the Fortnite environment, and then they bought House Party. So you kind of have a Twitch competitor a little bit. So you start putting all these things together. I think Epic is very, very well positioned to be able to build something like the metaverse. But again, I do not think that it's going to be, I don't think Fortnite is the is the metaverse. I, I don't. I do not right. think it's this island that we all escape into and go kill each other. Right, right. <laughs> but it is a. It's a good um, maybe uh, indicator about the direction that things are going. Because right, yeah. I mean, it's it's not re- realistic enough. I mean, it's it's a cartoon. I mean, it looks like a cartoon, and so people obviously aren't going to take it seriously. Um, yeah. But it is huge, and it is. I mean, people have to take notice of it now because. Yeah. Like you said, what three billion in rev just on just on cosmetics? Uh, yeah, ridiculous. Which have so, no, which which grant zero advantages in the game. I mean, it's pure, you know, flex. It's pure cosmetic. You know, kind of psychological warfare a little that's, bit. You know, that's insane. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So that, Interesting. All that, right. Well, yeah. uh, uh, I know I've I've taken about an hour of your time, but Aglet is a super interesting concept to me. Where can people find out more about it? Where can they find out more about you online or, or contact you or reach out to you? Uh, they can always just shoot me an email. So I'm at, um, so my name's Ryan Mullins. So rmullins at aglet.app. Uh, shoot me an email if you want to learn more. Um, uh, in terms of like uh, checking us out, if you go to, yeah, I think if you just Google aglet, you'll be able to find a bunch of stuff. High Snobiety's written about us. Uh, Input Magazine's written about us. Uh, Vogue Business has done some, uh, an article on us. Um, we've also got a podcast that you mentioned, so it's called, uh, from sneakers to the metaverse. There's three episodes up now. Um, nice. So you can check me out on LinkedIn, you know, Instagram. We got a nice following. We've also got a discord channel that's popping right now. Um, okay. About 300 people on our discord channel, like, um, pretty engaged there. So, um, but yeah, go hit up Aglet on the app store, um, download it it's for iOS and, uh, happy, happy copying. Hope you earn some Aglet. Get out there. <laughs> World's starting to open up a little bit. Um, Awesome. Depending on where you are, play safe. We'll do. We'll do, and I'll I'll keep using and keep sharing the word about it. Uh, is there any like uh, exciting roadmap things that you can share coming up, or any yeah. giveaways or anything that you're doing coming up? Yeah, we actually have. So, like like we had talked about, we we did have um, or we do have um, physical uh, treasure stashes that are that are kind of littered around on the map. So um, we had ten of them placed, and uh, four of them have already been captured. There's six out there somewhere. Um, so, you know, don't be surprised if you, uh, unlock a hidden stash and get some, get some Yeezys or get some, you know, we had somebody nice. get, uh, you know, Yeezy, we, you know, Travis Scott's, um, you know, Jordan 11 bread. So people have won some cool stuff in terms of, um, the product roadmap. So like you said earlier, unlike most games, I think this shows why we're not a, a game company. We did not release Aglet as like a feature complete mobile game. You know, it is not a game that we release that is, you know, it's there. This is what it is. 
It's what it's always going to be. Maybe you like it and play it for eight months and then you never hear about it ever again. That is not our plan. Our plan was to release like all software products, kind of a minimum viable game, the most basic game possible. And then we wanted to see whether that core game loop that we created and just the main experience, if there was something there. And, you know, 50,000 people in a month proves that I think we're onto something. And so where this now goes is in a number of really cool directions where we can now start kind of really putting a proper game layer on top of the experience. So now, you know, achievements, you know, leveling up avatars, um, you know, being able to design, put your own products in the shop. So that's really mm-hmm. important for us is again, that question of like, who's the next Tinker Hatfield um, in this up and coming generation that wants to have their own brands. I think that the next big sneaker is probably going to come on Aglet, like on a, on a virtual environment first in the game. So some young kid in LA or, you know, Dubai or, you know, Roanoke, Virginia, I don't know, like it it could be anywhere who's got a cool idea and some design shops. And they're like, you know, I can't build a real sneaker, but I know how to use Adobe Illustrator. or I know how to use, uh, you know, my, my iPad and my Apple pencil to do something. And so they can submit designs to us and then they can work with Dan to be able to put those sneakers in the shop. And now they can start to build their own brand, their designs. And if stuff pops on our platform, we think our shop can be a place where Adidas and Nike can come and check out those designs and be like, hey, let's make that. Just like Scooter Braun saw this young kid on YouTube singing songs and said, hey, I like this Justin Bieber guy. Let's, uh, I think there's something there. Let's make him into a star. So that's, you know, that's some of the more creation side of, of the, of the platform. But um, what we've got coming is, um, you know, a lot of optimization. We've got this game game format that, or this game layer that we're going to kind of skin on top of the game that makes it even more motivating. Um, every week we do drops, so we've got, you know, we've we've got on Fridays is like Friday Flex, so we release two new sneakers every Friday. We just put a whole new shop in there, so forty, in reference to MJ's return, we put forty five new sneakers in there. Um, you know, we've got the Michael Jackson moonwalk loafers are in there. Um, we're going to be when we do all kinds of fun sneakers. I'm sure you saw the Jesus resurrection sandals in there. I did, yeah. Um, so part of our brand is to have fun and constantly surprise our players. So we always want to be a few steps ahead that you never know what we're going to be doing. So, you know, from this point on, I think all the, all the good stuff is actually coming, you know, yeah. basic stuff we released. We think it worked. We think you guys like it. And now it's like, let's now go. And now all the cool stuff can really start to be to be developed. The big one is what everyone wants is the trading and the selling. Yeah. You know? So that's that's really huh. the next big thing that we release, you know, in the next, you know, the next month or so where you can really start trading, you know, trading the trading the sneakers that you get or that you don't want and even selling them. You know, so we've got people that have dropped, you know, two thousand five hundred actual dollars on you know, virtual sneakers and people are offering big money to buy those from that person. So, you know, we'll have our own secondary market. Yeah. It's sweet, (laughs) man. All right. Well, uh, I'll keep an eye out for all that. Uh, I think my listeners will be interested to download the app if they haven't or continue to use it. Uh, Ryan, David Mullins, thanks for spending the time with me. I'm, uh, challenged and I realize uh, now why you're so exhausted at the end of the day, because your brain is going I am, a bazillion yes. different directions it's all the time because of my four-year-old, but this also can, uh, 
can be exhausting. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. You also have a family. Wow. I have a family and a, and a four-year-old who thinks that sleep is a form of tor- torture. So he boycotts that. Yeah. <laughs> I looked That's like, awesome, I looked man. like Smeagol for two years, man. Like it was, uh, it was brutal. But I'll, well, I'll hopefully, love. hopefully you get your uh, golden parachute soon and can take a good vacation. You know, once the country opens once, up, once. I've got, I've got, uh, I think you're going to do just fine with this freaking app. I mean, you know, plenty of failures or quote unquote failing forward with other yeah. startups, but this one seems like a culmination of something that could be really special. So I appreciate you sharing, uh, with me and the listeners about it. And, um, yeah, let's keep in touch. Would love to definitely keep hearing about the company and hopefully, you know, you freaking sell for a bazillion dollars and you know, you can buy me a new pair of Jordan fours. I'm going to buy you a better shelf that you can put the shoes. (laughs) Thanks. You can upgrade my target (laughs) shelf. All right, buddy. Well, Hey, good to talk to you and let's do it again. All right, man. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Yep. Thanks so much for checking out this episode of the Preachers and Sneakers podcast. Again, if you haven't subscribed, head on over to Apple Podcasts. Subscribe, leave a rating, leave a review, all that good stuff that everybody wants you to do with their podcasts. Um, but especially take the time to do it for mine because it's the most important. Big shouts out again to Punch Parade and their new song, Look At Me Now. Let me use it for the intro and ad music. Super catchy song, super well done. Follow them on Instagram and Spotify, all that good stuff at Punch Parade. Thanks for spending the time with me today. And please make sure you check out the next episode of the Preachers and Sneakers podcast. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.